Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Building Sustainability Podcast. This week I am delighted to bring you two conversations with Siggy Coco. Siggy Coco is a name synonymous with natural buildings and Anyone who has been in the Talking Natural Homes Facebook group will have no doubt seen her work and also seen her tirelessly answering questions. Siggy is an architectural designer and natural builder who loves to get her hands in the mud and teach oh so many people the joys of natural building. We actually talked for a solid two hours and honestly, I still had a page of questions left. So I had so much talk about with uh with siggy and it was an absolute delight so i've divided these podcasts into two uh nice hour-long chunks uh this episode is kind of a background and really focused on the design process uh how she goes about getting from the initial client meeting to a design on paper the next episode 71 focuses a bit more on materials. We talk about the myths in natural building and also women in construction. Before we get into the podcast, there's a little bit of podcast updates. Firstly, if this is your first time listening, make sure you hit the subscribe button and head back and have a listen to some of the other episodes. It's full of natural building goodness and great design tips. I've been sent a fantastic opportunity by Timber Development UK. Uh, They are running a design challenge. You'll be designing a real-life building uh, with a budget of 1.6 to 1.9 million pounds. So let me read you the blurb. We are looking for students and 2021 graduates from UK universities. 
any built environment subject to register by the end of February to join a team and design a passive house community centre, predominantly from timber that sits lightly on the site, producing more energy than it consumes. Uh, You need to register by the 21st of February, that's 2022, on the Trada website. There's a link in the show notes. You can self-select your team or we can help you. And then you submit your entry by mid-June. And there is a live judging and awards on the 22nd of July at the New Model Institute for Technology and Engineering in Hereford. There are cash prizes and certificates for all valid team entries. And it sounds like a great thing to get involved with. And if that wasn't enough, all the students get free software included. So you get use of Trimble's SketchUp Studio portfolio, Design, PHPP and the AECB's CO2 calculator. So access to a whole load of high-end stuff. Seems like a great competition. I know they get lots of entries every year. Could be a good thing to get involved with. Also in news of upcoming events, I am teaching a spoon carving workshop. If you are local to the Bristol area and available on the 7th of May 2022, then come along. We will be carving a spoon from a log using just simple hand tools, a saw, an axe and a couple of different knives. Uh, So, yeah, if you want to learn all of the techniques and how to do it safely and really just enjoy a wonderful craft that opens up so much, I get so much in my life from uh, from being part of the spoon carving community uh so yeah come along and join in i will put a link to that in the show notes and what else to say ah yes we've got a few lovely lovely patrons to say thanks to as always upfront apologies for poor pronunciations of names we have got robert greaves who also left a fantastic review on itunes so thank you for that robert we've got aniko hedges hedges Sorry, Aniko. Uh, we have got Elizabeth Sean and we have got Anthony Gregorzek. So thank you all of you for contributing. Anthony and Robert have gone for the building sustainability superhero level, which means they are giving five pounds a month. And in return, they are going to get a hand carved spoon. Kind of fitting for today's intro. So thank you all to those who have joined up this month. And also just thanks to everyone else that supports the podcast. It genuinely does mean this podcast can exist. So thank you. Okay, that is enough from me. I will give a little tiny house update at the beginning of episode 71. And I will be back very briefly at the end. Enjoy Siggy Coco. Coco. I am an an architectural designer and I design exclusively natural buildings and I've been doing that for almost 25 years. Great. And where are you based? I am in the United States and I am in, I live in Pennsylvania, um, which is sort of East Coast US, um, but I work throughout the whole region of the east coast do you know what Uh, until quite recently i didn't actually realize you were an architectural designer i thought you were just a builder um Ah. because i think most of the the things i'd seen were were things you'd built so it was a, a nice surprise to find out ah so the way that i work is um so the first building the first it was a house it was an addition to a house outside of dc um 
And I realized, so I had these drawings and then I knew a lot about natural building, but when I tried to hand them to someone, they were like, ah. <laughs> straw bale wall, what does that mean? Uh, so I instantly realized that A, <clears throat> I need to be hands-on and B, I need to teach. Uh -huh. So that's how I started teaching, for one, um, which I'm actually quite introverted. So that was a real big, ah! <laughs> that was very stressful. Um, and uh, so I was very hands-on um, with that one. So it was basically the builder and I built it together. Yeah. Um, and I happen to really enjoy being hands-on but I also enjoy the design. So I usually do something hands-on on every project. Uh -huh. And I always offer to teach natural building workshops on every project. Before that first project, had you, had you done a hands-on uh, work before? Well, I've, I mean, I've, my mom would say I've been hands-on since I came out. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, but specific to natural building, that was, um, I would say, and I have an art background. So my undergraduate degree is in fine arts and mm -hmm. sculpture specifically. Uh, so that's very, you know, tactile hands forward. <laughs> and then when I went to architecture school, I was kind of the weird one that, you know, grew grass on her roof and snipped it with scissors and, you know, built the walls out of clay instead of, you know, chipboard and foam board. And um, so I don't, yeah. So in that sense, yes. And then from a natural building standpoint, specifically, I read everything I could get my hands on, which at the time you could literally read everything there was out mm -hmm. there. Um, and um, joined one of the I think it was the first East Coast Natural Building Colloquium in 1996. And so I did that and I felt like I am home. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. oh, lovely. I mean, why, how did sort of natural materials get into your, you know, how did you sort of come mm. across them? Yeah. So when I was in, I went to architecture school because I, saw a photograph of a Antoni Gaudi building when I was seven years old and it made me weep <laughs> because it was so beautiful to me. Do you remember which building it was? It was a photograph of the blue tiled spire that's at the bottom of the hill in the park. Mm -hmm. The yeah, park well. Yeah. I think I know the one. Yeah. 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 And it was just the spire. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to build buildings that make people cry. <laughs> um and and so from seven I was like architect and then when I went finally went to architecture school I had one of in the first year I had a professor who was teaching sort of world history of architecture and the way she approached it was teaching she would show indigenous buildings from around the world and say why they were built the way they were so, you know, you could see from the building, oh, this area floods. Oh, all they have, they don't have wood here. They only have stone and clay. Oh, this is an arid climate and they collect their water and everything is about cooling, you know. And 
And that's, I was like, ha, 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 yes, okay, we, that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to me, that instantly, if a building makes sense for where it is, I'm hooked, right? So from the materials to the climate, um, you know, the, the reaction to the climate, yeah. So to me, that, that was the most logical thing I had come across. And so yeah. to me, that's natural building. Yeah, I fully agree. Was, yeah. was that quite a sort of revolutionary concept when you were at school? Was that, a, you know, it sounds like you sort of said you were the, the one trimming the grass on your roof. Uh, so other people weren't, weren't as, as inspired by the, the vernacular design. No. No, no, I, I think I, I, that it touched me. I mean, she teaches that every year and it's not, so I went to the University of Texas in Austin. It's not like they're spitting out natural builders or mm-hmm. natural architects, you know? So I, it just, for me, the way that I grew up and with my sensibilities and um, my mom's German and, you know, very practical, right. And efficiency and, you know, so that's my mindset. And to me, that natural building is all of that. And also tactile and also user-friendly. And all of a sudden, people can meaningfully participate in building. So it's got this whole, like, like human, like, well, humanitarian for one, but also like this human interaction that cannot happen with conventional construction unless you have a particular skill set, which is not most people. Mm-hmm. And so if all of a sudden the person, like kids, their kids can participate in construction meaningfully, build walls, right? That's a paradigm shift, right? And and I don't think everyone looks for that. So I think when I was in school and I was touched by that, that's about, you know, who I am and how I grew up, not necessarily about the schooling, right? It just Mm -hmm. happens to be that that was the one piece that sent me off in this direction, right? So... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it feels to me like sort of society is, is moving away from, you know, kids playing in the dirt and getting hands on. And do you agree with that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like there's, um, so I have taught, for example, I have gone to schools and like the whole sixth grade class builds a bench you know, and they all cycle each class cycles through over two days, you know, yeah. um, and they all participate. And, you know, they usually at least one kid is like, wait, your job is to play in the mud <laughs> <laughs> and their head explodes that that's possible, you know. So I, you know, it's not like any of them go, I can't touch, you know, um, I think in all the years I've taught kids I've had one person who didn't like to touch mud right. and that was because they had a a, per, a touch sensibility right so mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know I, I think that's come from I think uh some friends of mine uh teach uh sort of art and they go around and you know teach art and they they said they, that sometimes they go into schools and you know people are they don't want to get mucky they don't want to mm. kind of really get involved and they, they're quite standoffish um yeah maybe that's a a, a particular group they were teaching and not a I've, mm-hmm. I've just extrapolated that to be that's how kids mm. are now mm. yeah and it may be cycling back right so maybe there was a period of time you know I feel like there's sort of cyclical 
cyclical parenting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's possible that we're back to hands-on again or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, 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 certainly. So I'm interested to know about your design process and how do you, I guess, sort of e extract an idea from the, the clients mm -hmm. and then how we you know what's what are the important things that you then take forward so i first i have a fairly rigorous um intake with clients um it's important to me that i connect with someone um so you're you're kind of interviewing them yeah i had a i had a client one once who near near the end of our design process together uh she said you know i just have to tell you I thought we were interviewing you at that first meeting, but now I realize you were interviewing us too. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and it's never personal. It's just, to me, it's important that we can communicate well and that we're on the same page. So it's important to me, for example, um, that communication is always respectful, like that makes maybe obvious, but that natural building and sustainable issues are their top priorities, right? Obviously they want, you know, it's usually homes, right? They want a home that's livable and beautiful and works for them and all of that. But any architect can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if they're going to compromise on some of the natural building bits, like I, if we take straw bale out, I, I don't want to do it. Right. So I, I wouldn't want to quit on them because they, you know, had a decision shift. So mm -hmm. it's now at the point where I only people only approach me because that's what they want. But there yeah. was a period of time where I had to weed that out um, and also size. So um, if something's quite large and it's just, you know, a couple and one kid, I, I don't want to do that project either because I will keep trying to make it smaller and they will keep trying to make it bigger. And, yeah. um, you know, we're going to clash. So they should work with someone who's happy to make it as big as they want it to be. Right. So, yeah, um, there's things like that. Um, so, but once I've sort of connected with someone, I do what I call um, collaborative design. And to me, what that means is I am it's a pretty hefty education for them of what the materials are, the physics of why they perform, why the windows are placed where they are, where the sun is, how that works, um, how their heating system works in collaboration. So that by the end, they understand why they made every single decision. And I have empowered them to be able to make those decisions because they have a knowledge base, right? Yeah. And so, and then by the end, they, when people come and see their house, they can explain it, which is also cool to me, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So, so it's, um, it's, it's, I, it's probably more intense than most architects do. I usually do. For small projects, it's about eight meetings, and for larger project projects, it's eleven meetings. Um, and and I, you know, we sort of the beginning is always concept, right? And um, I always give them at least three to five different ideas, so that we're not just taking one idea and editing the heck out of it, right? Uh -huh. If they have multiple ideas, they can react. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Or, oh, 
what if we do this and this over here, you know, and combine, right? So they feel free to uh, express what works and what doesn't more if they have more ideas because nothing is precious now. Mm-hmm. So I assume sort of quite early on, those those are quite quick, loose kind of ideas, not yeah. not too detailed. Right. I think that's that's a really uh, big thing. I mean, I, I studied product design and that mm. the... You know, it's so difficult not to just follow your first idea mm-hmm. because you know you played with it in your head and then you went yeah it's brilliant and so right. to force yourself out of that and well you know to mm-hmm. to, to introduce clients to different ideas is is really really important mm-hmm. and what what i find actually is um two is easy and then often the third one's harder but the third one is once it cracks it's almost always better and it almost always opens up a fourth one Right. Yeah. So once you get past that sort of preciousness, it, it cracks open of what the possibilities are. Uh-huh. So, yeah. I am. Um, so I, this house is, uh, is mine and I, um, I designed it okay. and it's a, it's a tiny house. You know, it's, it's small. Uh, but I, I was deliberate in my design process mm-hmm. that I just sort of threw in random ideas. You know, what if this, what if that, what if the bedroom was downstairs? What if, you know, deliberately trying to shake up my design process mm-hmm. just so that I didn't stick to that one, one first thought. Perfect. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. But exactly that, that is, yeah. Because you, you don't know until you draw it, right? If you're always holding it just in your head, it's hard to move the parts around. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you sketch it out different ways, you see where the tight points are and you see why something does or doesn't work and what the possibilities are. So yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. Very well done. Nice. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't come here to, you know, to, to be gratified, I guess. But, uh, but thanks. <laughs> is your tiny house mobile? It is. Yes. Ah, yeah. ah so you have the whole like weight issue. Oh my goodness. Yes, I do. Oh. Well, that's a, a thing that I've never, ever considered while building mm. you know, Generally yeah. it's kind of more mass is better and, right. you know, thinking in that sort of terms and then to, to have to have a spreadsheet of the weights of everything and, mm. you know, well, if I have this, then I have to sacrifice that because weight, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a mm. very interesting challenge. Is it one mm. you've, have you ever done uh, tiny houses? No, but I have uh, the daughter of one of my clients is is going down that road, and she asked me to help her. So, yeah, we're, I'm going to try to support her in that right now. So, yeah, she's right now making the decision if she's going to do something that's road worthy and consider all the weights of everything, or you know, straw and clay, and yeah, and then it'll sit one place. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. deciding whether you're uh, you're going to get itchy feet and uh, and and move on later. Because mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I I feel like I'm settled here, but I have that nagging. But what if you know you mm. don't know the future? Right, right, right. So, mm. nice. <laughs> but anyway, we're side sidetracking and talking sorry, about me. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so what are the sort of the questions that you're asking? your clients what is it you're trying to get out of them in those sort of early meetings so i give them homework before we even begin right um and we review that homework before before i've taken any money from them before we have a contract right anything um and there's sort of three parts to the homework but i let them do whichever one two or three that they want um 
because different people are comfortable communicating in different ways. So the one that most people do is collecting images. Uh And um, I tell them, like, don't don't think too hard about it. If it moves you, collect it. And then we'll figure out why it moves you later. And what I do with the images is I it's almost never one particular image. It's always the thread that carries through the images, right? So um, like two quick examples. I had one client who a healthy, over 50% of the photos were bathrooms. Right. And they all had blue tile. And I was like, well, I know what tile will do in the bathroom. <laughs> um, and obviously your bathroom is really important to you. So, right. Because if half her photos were the bathroom, (laughs) we're going to spend some time designing the perfect bathroom, right? Um, And then uh, I had another client who every single photo was visible wood structure, left natural state, so just oiled, with white plaster, like hand plastered, every single photo. And I was like, okay, I know your aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, I mean, those are easy ones, but you know, you're kind of looking at the threads that people carry through. And sometimes it's sort of the quality of light or uh, sometimes something quite specific, you know, like a big fireplace or something like that. Yeah. um, It's usually, it's usually a feeling that is evoked. That is a thread. Yeah. Um, And then I tell them that back. Right. So uh, the whole point of reviewing it with them is I tell them what I see. And if I'm off base, I say, don't work with me because I don't get you. Mm -hmm. Um, Like only think about working with me if what I'm saying back to you resonates. Right. So, um, and then the second exercise is a writing exercise. And I ask them to project into the future, pretend the house is done and write something. It could be like a morning ritual or you know, coming home at the end of a day or something, you know, your cup of tea, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, And many people don't do that because they're afraid of exposing writing to other people, right? Mm -hmm. There's that fear. But when people do that, it's often really um, revealing, right? About sort of what life wants to feel like, right? Yeah, Um, I bet. Yeah. And then the last one is pattern language. I give them pattern language. That's just read that homework. Yeah. I mean, I tell them to get it from a, from a library and I say, you know, read the, read the, the list of patterns first and just write down the ones and then go read them. And, yeah. um, and about a third of people do that one. Yeah. And then I give them an option to do, there's a, another book um, called Patterns of Home that is sort of distills the pattern language into sort of 10 patterns and they're visual. So it's mm-hmm. a little, so if somebody's more visual than, cause pattern language is very intimate book. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so that one also sort of just, it clarifies, okay, these are our really important things that are no brainers and, you know, deal breaker. Yeah. yeah. And then we, once we start designing together, so then I, I distill that into just like a two page document and send it back to them as sort of, this is now our vision bullet list of things that we're going for. And some of them are, you know, a bedroom that fits a king bed, you know, or whatever, but, um, 
some of them are that quality of light is important and connecting inside and outside so that you feel mm -hmm. like you're outside in winter when you're stuck inside, you know. Um, so it can be either experiential or functional, right? Yeah. Um, and then we're both on the same page of what we're shooting for. Um, and then it always begins with relationships of spaces, right? So, you know, is it important that the bedroom is upstairs or downstairs? Is it important that uh, when you first walk in the house, what room are you in, right? Mm, like interesting, you, yeah. You come in through a vestibule, you hang your coat up, you take your boots off or whatever, and you step inside. Are you in the kitchen? Are you between the rooms? Is it all open, right? So things like that. Um, yeah, and then it starts to get more and more nitpicky as you go, right? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I like that. I really like the uh, that second exercise, the um, kind of imagining imagining yourself in the space. Mm -hmm. Have you have you read Hop Rob Hopkins' book? No. Uh, it's called From What Is to What If, and it's it's based oh. on uh, how to sort of solving the climate crisis by using imagination. And he does a, an exercise, which is, you know, imagine yourself uh, in 15 years time. And we've solved climate crisis. You know, now what look around? What what does the world look like? And it's sort of removing those barriers of what we already know and, and the sort of tram lines that we're stuck in. And, uh, yeah, and letting you imagine all the wonderful things. Oh, I don't hear any traffic. And you're, you're sort of actually in that mm. place feeling it. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like it, it lets you imagine something positive. Mm. So now that goal is desirable as opposed to the fear of change, right? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. Okay. So uh, we touched on on patterns there. Um, is that something you can you can talk a bit more about in terms of for people that maybe haven't read a pattern language? Um, so pattern language was a thesis project from some students at UC University of California in Davis that got kind of out of control and turned into a book and then, and then a book series. And then a religion, um, I, I think. And then a religion, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely my religion. Um, and what their goal was, was to explain why when you step into a space, it feels the way it does. And literally break that down into specifics. So um, there's this whole uh, psychology of architecture. Uh, so some architecture is meant to intimidate you, right? And some architecture is meant to embrace you, right? Mm -hmm. And as two just gross examples, you know, so when there's a grand staircase and a huge door and pillars that are two stories tall, like that house is meant to make you uncomfortable before you ever knock on the door, right? Yeah. You are less than, right? Um, versus, you know, an intimate porch that three people can stand on and a little bench for you to sit down and a small window where you can see the person and they can see you before you have ever opened the door. And then space when you walk in for you to know where to put your coat. It's a hook. It's not a closet that you have to now open their doors, you know. 
right? So there's this architecture of welcome, welcome into my home and an architecture of, and I'm just making them extreme, but of course, you know, yeah. yeah, right. Um, and, and they try to articulate what those pieces are quite specifically. Right. Um, and then the way the book is laid out is you don't necessarily read it linearly. Um, I did cause I was obsessed, but <laughs> that's not really the point of the book. It's, it's meant to be experienced as a web is how mm-hmm. I think about it. Right. So the very beginning just has a list of all the patterns, right? It's just one, one phrase, right? So it could be, um, you know, light from above. And you don't know what that means necessarily, but, ah, or couples realm. Oh, well, what's that? Right. And then you read through them and just, if it's intriguing to you, write it down. Mm-hmm. Now go read it. And each one has, you know, two to three, sometimes a little bit more pages um, that explains what does light from above mean? How does it make you feel? How does it um, create? What type of space does it create? If there's an energy um, impact, it might say that, right? So if it has to do with passive solar, right? It might talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then at the beginning and the end of each pattern, it lists related patterns. And so then you read those and anything intriguing, right? So now that's why you're on a web. Yeah. And then you distill it into the patterns that speak to you the most, right? So people with kids would have things that are kid related versus, you know, if if it's a couple and they don't have kids and they're older and they're definitely not going to have kids and they wouldn't do the ones that are kid related. Right. Mm-hmm. So things like that. But um, yeah. And I, to me, it's quite, it's, it's brilliant in the way that it, it's a way of communicating about space. Um, how do I want to say this? It takes you out of, I need a spot for my kitchen pot to, I want my home to feel like X, Y, Z. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show. That's right. And I'm Pat looking for a podcast. That's like catching up with old friends. Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so away from practicalities and more into feelings. Yeah, the experience you have, right? So... um sitting in a corner in the winter with the sun streaming on your face. Right. That sounds nice. Right. And you don't necessarily know what's in the room, right. Or where things are organized. Right. And you do that too. Um, But those are the things people are comfortable telling you. Right. Yeah. 
I have this many clothings, right? Clothes, right? I have, this is my kitchen. This is what I need room for in the kitchen, right? That, that's easy and easy to solve for. But what do you want it to feel like every day? And how do you elicit that from someone? You know, yeah. th- that's, that's what pattern language opens up, right? Is that whole conversation. Uh-huh. Are any of the patterns, it's been a while since I've, uh, I've read it, but are, are any of the patterns uh, kind of negative? Are they, you know, do they describe feelings of, of discomfort? Because I always think of it as, you know, always creating cozy spaces. Uh, I think they talk about, I don't know, actually. I haven't like gone through each pattern in a really long time, but um, my memory of it is um, that it will talk about why something if the if you do the opposite why that feels the way it does but it doesn't i don't think there's necessarily oh if you want a grand if you want to off put people (laughs) i don't think it does that yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) i think the whole the whole goal and they ultimately there was a community in davis california that was the whole community was built based on pattern language and since it was built it has been fully occupied and when someone sells the house it sells within a day right Right. so yeah yeah and so the whole goal was to create spaces that are universally warm and inviting and livable and comfortable right so Mm -hmm. yeah i was i was reading something uh the other day she was talking about uh how she grew up in england and there's lots of you know very thick walled houses and so Mm. And that she then moved to the States and, um, and she was saying, you know, in the States, people don't understand like the sitting in the window nook and sort of looking out because, you know, they're generally sort of sitting in, in big sort of cuboid boxes, uh, with very thin walls. Mm-hmm. And so I, that, I mean, the pattern language always sort of brings to mind little, little spaces that are quirky and might not be found in a very conventional, you know, four by two, uh, eight by four sheet house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, I think in the, at least, I don't know how, how it works in the UK, but in, in the United States, for the most part, there is a disconnect between who builds the home and who is going to live there mm-hmm. and radical disconnect, a builder or a developer builds the home and their goals are profit. Right. So what is the least I can spend to make it look like they should pay the most? Right. Mm -hmm. They don't care about energy efficiency. They're never going to pay an energy bill. Right. They care that it looks grand enough that someone thinks it's expensive. And Mm -hmm. right. And the person living there has goals about energy efficiency and livability and, um, you know, that the space feels good. Right. And because of that disconnect, I think there's, um, I don't know, I, I feel like that's, that's the biggest issue, at least in the U.S., right, is that if we brought that back together and let the people who will live there make decisions, right? I'm always working with people like that, but that is not the usual, right? Mm-hmm. Most people do not hire someone to design a home for them, right, or figure out how to design a home themselves. That is not a normal thing, you know? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I think if we close that disconnect, I think houses would look radically different here. Yes. You know, yes. And then that there's that whole notion of, okay, well, let's, let's build, let's design for resale. So I get that question sometimes like, oh, well, we should do this because of resale. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. And, and to me, and this is where the builders come in too, right? You're designing to this notion of what someone might want. Well, who is that person? It's this abstract, what, a fad? I, like, I don't like describe who that person is. And it's a generic. It's not anyone. And now you're designing something specific to a generic that isn't anyone. Well, no one's going to respond to that, right? Whereas if you design something that specifically meets your needs and makes you feel at home, guaranteed someone walks into that space and goes, ah, I feel at home, right? So that whole notion of, you know, design for resale, like, no, this is your home designed for you, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know. I feel like there's all of these other disconnects that, um, that put us in these sort of stick framed, fragile homes that are boxy and, you know, versus the owner built homes. Is that most of your clients are then, are they, are they self builders in the way that they're going to actually build it themselves? Or are they just people that are having a home built for them? It's about a third, a third, a third. So about a third of the people want to like start to finish, build their home. Um, and the way that I work is I stay with them through construction. So um, they can call me, anyone working on their home can call me or email me anytime and I will answer questions mm-hmm. through all the way through construction. So they're never like just left hanging, right? Um, so with an owner builder, there's always more dialogue, right? Yeah. And usually with them, if they've never built a home before, I tell them to get support. So work with a builder at least through framing. Yeah. Right. Um, and then hire a plumber and hire an electrician. Right. So very good <laughs> right. advice. Yeah. Right. Um, and do the, you know, focus on the natural building bits and all of that. Um, the second third is this sort of hybrid where they want to do something. Right. But um, they either don't have the time or they're intimidated. They don't want to sort of build their whole home. And so they will hire a builder um, and sometimes they'll just participate in a workshop and then whatever doesn't get done through the workshop, they take it from there. Um, So, you know, they're sort of, they participate to some degree, but they're not taking on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, And then about a third are, you know, let the builder do it. (laughs) And and then what what sort of, um, as a sort of market in the US was I I get the impression that more people are building their own homes over where you are um than in the UK. I think the UK self-built market is is tiny, minuscule. Um mm. Yeah, do you do you have a, a sort of sense of of how many people are No. No, not really. I think uh what I mean we have this sort of, you know, rugged individualist thing in the US, right? And the you know <laughs> our 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 history is you know 
push out native people and build our own space and take it over. Right. So, uh, very owner builder ranchy, you know, hands-on history, um, for good and bad, but, um, what that, where that comes into legality of building homes is almost everywhere in the U S there is some method for an owner to design and build their own home within Mm. the building permit structure. Um, and in some places, if it's under a certain size, you don't even need a building permit. And in some places that size is quite large. Um, like I think this has changed, but when I was in Texas, it was 2000 square feet, which is what 200, yeah, 200 square meters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's changed now, but you know, that's basically almost every house, right? Mm. (laughs) You didn't need a permit. So, uh, I am pro building permit, but, um, yeah, so there's a method for, um, doing owner builder everywhere almost Mm. everywhere right so yeah so in the designs you spoke a little bit about natural light um Mm. and how how sort of important is that Mm, very yeah (laughs) so i have uh on an intake form i have this sort of little mini questionnaire like what excites you the most and one of the questions is ample natural light right um i have yet to have someone not check that off if they right. didn't check that, would that be a, sorry, we're not working together? No, but if they didn't, I, my guess would be when they collected photos, it would be in the photos. Um, mm-hmm. Because we are solar powered, right? We need the sun to feel good, right? Both physically, literally, right? That's how we generate vitamin D and that stems depression and um, all of that. But um you know, it's warmth in winter. It's what grows our food. It's, you know, it's our lifeline, right? Like sun and water. That's, that's most of us, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's the rare person who's like, I would like to live in a dark cave, right? That's not most people, right? Um, yeah. So to me, natural and, and balanced natural light. So I think there's a way to bring in lots of light and have it not feel comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So to me that there's this, there's actually a pattern of in pattern language where it talks about having uh, light from two sides of a room. Right. And that, so if you have, if you have, let's say you have two windows in a room, if they're both on one wall, the quality of light is not as good as if one is on one wall and one is on another wall. As in opposite walls. Opposite walls or even 90 degrees from each other. Okay. Because instantly you're balancing the light as it comes in and you're reducing the glare as it comes in. Mm. And you have more opportunities for sun to be streaming in, right? Instead of just being one directional. Um, And so all of these other things happen. And if you open those two windows that are on different sides of the room you immediately create positive and negative air pressure and therefore airflow. So there's all of these then side benefits of, okay, I thought I was just making better light, but oh, I also got ventilation out of it. And every time you get more than one benefit out of a solution, it's to me a better and better solution, right? Yes. Yeah. So natural light is fantastic. It was one of the things I really struggled to design 
for this house is mm. you know how how big is too big on windows uh mm. you know i didn't want it to feel dark it, yeah and i I wanted to have a, a roof light that you can see above me mm-hmm. and I, I knew that i wanted that to be north facing so it didn't create hard hard light coming in from the sun Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was pretty much all I knew about <laughs> about, about mm. windows. And I just had to kind of feel my way through. And I made little models that I sat out in the sun and kind of poked my phone into the, the model so I could see what the, the light was looking like. Yeah, and, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, a nightmare. Well, not a nightmare. It was um, it was a challenge that I, uh, throughout the build, I've I've sort of gone, did I do that right? Oh, that's too small now. Oh, that's you know, too big. I guess I'll know when I, it's, you know, it's a, a more complete thing. But I think that's, it's, it's like, it's like anything. The first time you do it, you, your learning curve is much higher, right? So mm-hmm. figuring out what you know and what you don't know, and how can I know what I don't know? So, okay, I'm not sure about how the light is going to play. So I'm going to build a model and I'm going to shine the actual light into the model in the orientation that it will be, right? Um, and, and be a little scientist to figure out like, okay, well, what's that going to look like? And, and at least approximate it, right? Yeah. And then make the best decision you can. And then you're going to live there and you're going to learn, okay, this worked really well. Good job. And you're going to figure out why. And then things that don't work, you're going to figure out why. And if you ever did it again, it would be better. And then the next one better and the next one better. Mm -hmm. So it's just the nature of things. One of the first things I tell clients is your home is not going to be perfect, right? That's not feasible. It's not like there's always going to be things that you, you second guess. It's just the way it is. So, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure about that kind of, this is my forever home. Everything needs to be exact. You know, I guess that's, that's unhealthy, isn't it? Well, it's for most people, they do it one time, right? I mean, I do it more than once, but they do it one time for them. And so there's this huge emotional weight on it. And it's usually the most money anyone spends on something. So mm-hmm. there's a financial weight on it. And you combine those two things and it's this like volcano of it has to be just right, you know. Um, and so we get we get close, you know, but I always say let go of perfection because that's not. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's good. There's a, a thing that I often think and I've, I've talked about on the podcast before, but I went to a, a Swedish uh, museum about Vi- Viking longships. And they said oh. that they always put one deliberate mistake in because they believed only the gods were perfect. And and I always like that because when I, you know, I'm building something and I do a little mistake, I'm like, there we go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so uh, biophilic design, is that something you're you're sort of consciously putting into into buildings? Or do you think that just comes about with with the materials? Yeah, I would. It's something I love and something I'm inspired by. But I, I would. It's unfair for me to say that it's conscious. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Looking at your 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 photos of of the builds, I mean, there there's lots of rich biophilic elements in there. Mm. You know, trees in the round, and you know, 
natural edge timber and you know beautiful things that i mean i i trained in uh, on the west coast in uh, in oregon and mm. you know we always talked about you know, this this feeling of of natural builds and you know why do they feel so good and and then suddenly i discovered biophilic design just last year and it was suddenly mm. ah there's science behind mm. behind that feeling and you know there are studies and there is understanding mm-hmm. um, it's yeah it's a wonderful thing to to realize yeah yeah i would say that that is more about sort of how my my personal appreciation for materials and you know i feel like in most cases the less you do to manhandle them or woman handle them um the more they feel like what they were mm-hmm. right so if a if a tree doesn't get hewn or milled and it can stay a tree right oh all of a sudden nature's in my home right yeah so, yeah absolutely yeah it's more it's more from that piece of that sort of tactileness and uh just a respect for what nature gives us mm-hmm. yeah oh that's lovely um, are there are there any uh, sort of red lines that uh, you won't cross in terms of you know if a client says I want this it's definitely going to be in here. Mm. I guess in terms of design and maybe materials. There probably is, but I can't think of what that. I've never made a list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I try to minimize concrete. Right. So right out of the gate, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging to completely eliminate it here because the alternative is so expensive um, or requires a very high skill set. Um, so yeah. I just try to minimize it. Um, so, you know, one can argue whether that's the right approach or wrong approach, but that's sort of my approach. Um, like if they wanted all the walls to be concrete, I, I think that but I don't think they would come to me because that's mm. not, you know, I think at this point they're weeding themselves out. Yes. They're not going to yeah. look at the bod- your body of work and say, I'd like that, but in concrete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, it's a hard an- a question to answer because I, I'm sure yes, but I don't, I, I'm struggling to articulate it. Maybe I haven't had enough coffee yet, but. <laughs> well, I think maybe it's that it's, it's a, it's sort of a question that asks you to focus on negativity. And I get the impression that's not the way you work. Um, for the most part. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there you go. Bad question from me. No, it's not <laughs> a bad question. It's a good question. It's, I, it's something I'm going to think about actually. So yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> and then you've talked about a little bit there about efficiency in use. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel so it, when I was training in Oregon, I feel like if uh, embodied energy was kind of held in slightly higher regard than efficiency in use, so kind of in-use energy, uh, it felt like a lot of the focus was mm. getting the the closest natural materials, uh, and that was that was good. Um, yeah, this was this was twelve years ago, so it's you know I'm sure. Yeah, it's a an ever moving goalpost. But um how how sort of conscious are you of, of creating efficient buildings? To me, the biggest energy association for 
certainly for most natural buildings, but probably for most buildings, is how much energy do they use over time? Because that's an annual forever number. Mm-hmm. And you can, if it's a, it's a, if it's like, say the concrete, right? So if I'm saying yes to concrete, which a lot of natural builders will scream and pull their <laughs> hair out, right? Um, but I'm not doing concrete floors, right? It's just a grade beam, right? So there I am justifying it. But um, so there, there's a, there's a, um, you know, definitely an embodied energy associated with that. And there's a huge CO2 footprint associated with that. So right out of the gate, I will use concrete that has um, 40% less cement in it. So fly ash and coal slag um, so that we can offset some of that CO2 footprint. Um, So trying to make better decisions about what that concrete is. And then once it's there, that impact is done. And now it gets amortized over the whole life of that building versus if I build something that requires like it's all mass and so it has no insulation and it requires much more heating than it would like, sure, you can get comfortable, but you're using a lot more to do it mm-hmm. and for more months of the year to do it. Um, that is every year you have that unless you go on vacation in winter, right? Um, or if you design something that in order to be comfortable, you need air conditioning instead of eliminating the need for air conditioning, right? That mm-hmm. is every summer, right? So to me, it's, it's not the only thing, but to me that I will, I personally will hold that in slightly higher regard. Um, but that said, I'm always looking for the material that is available from the building site first. Yeah. Right. So we dig the footer, we save that clay, we build the walls, we build the floor, we plaster the walls. Right. Um, And that's always number one. And then, okay, then it stems out from there. So um, if somebody says, you know, I want a certain, I don't know, like I rarely use um, bamboo. um, I use like bamboo for stakes because we have it everywhere here. It's invasive, but um, bamboo products I rarely Mm -hmm. use, even though those are sort of touted as green um, because almost all of them use formaldehyde glues, um, except for there's a product line that I think it comes out of Korea, but I could be wrong. Um, But they're all from, for us, 6,000 miles away minimum. Mm -hmm. That's halfway around the world, right? So to me, I'm going to use that less often. Or only if that's the one aesthetic that works for somebody, right? I will try to talk to them about, okay, so here's the impact that you're buying into. Are you okay mm-hmm. with that, right? Um, and even for us, cork, right? So that's 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Right? Um, which is for us the same as California. But I also try to not... <laughs> if I can bring in a, a recycled glass countertop from Brooklyn, which is, you know... 200 miles away, I'm going to do that as opposed to California, which is 3000 miles away. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I ignore embodied energy and transportation. And to me, there's that whole life cycle of materials where you look at, you know, what is the environmental impact of acquisition of the materials? And then, um, what is the manufacturer and how far did it come? And is it safe to install? Is it, is it create, does it promote a healthy home in every way? 
mm-hmm. then what happens to it at the end of its life, right? So the, that's always part of the conversation. And I, we have a whole meeting about materials with, with my clients. And I, I make them understand life cycle analysis because uh, I'm cruel and heartless. Um, so, so those things don't get ignored, um, but I also ask them to prioritize what's important to you. And then mm-hmm. I am always holding that energy over time piece, and I won't let them stray from that. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, how wonderful was that? Goodness. I had such a nice time talking to C. Um, so if you've enjoyed that, then head straight on over to the second part of our conversation, which is episode 71 is focused less on the design aspect and more on the materials, common myths, and we talk about women in construction. If this was your first building sustainability, hit the subscribe button to catch all future episodes. And if you've got a moment, love it if you could leave a review. There's a link in the show notes. It'll just take two minutes and makes a huge, huge difference. Thank you, thank you. Really appreciate you listening. Hope you're having a great day. Until next time, bye.